If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. My name is Derek Cranavilt, and you're listening to Xbox Game Passengers. Welcome back. It's been a long week, and this is the third episode that we've had in the last few days. So if you are still here, thank you for joining us once again. This is the second special episode of the week. So if you look back in the feed on Sunday, we chatted about naturally Microsoft's press conference, which uh, I think we had a lot of cool things to say about it. We were pretty impressed by a lot of the things that they showed off. And there's also a pretty amazing deal that's happening currently on Xbox Game Pass Ultimate. So if you haven't jumped on that yet you are crazy and you can head to geekscape.net for all of the information on how to do that it's still active as of publishing this um, or as of recording it rather so hopefully uh hopefully you got a few more days and you should definitely jump on that we also saw just yesterday we saw a regular episode of the show so my friend john and i played through a weird ass hunting game called the hunter call of the wild uh and it was a pretty eye-opening experience and hunting is weird it turns out and the forest only has two deers in it, and they can hear you from across the entire land. So definitely look back in the feed for that one. Sounds incredible. I know. That that there, I'm so happy to welcome Josh Jackson to the show. Josh, you were a regular, uh, always essentially, co-host on the Geekscape Games podcast, and I'm so happy to have you back. How are you doing today? Um, <laughs> yes, sir. I'm doing great, and it's good to be you know, podcasting with you again and talking about <laughs> games. It's like been it's been too long for sure so it's it's been too long it's been so long and it's the best week of the year to talk about video games i think i don't know i feel like i get more excited about e3 than i do about christmas i don't know if i am alone in that sentiment or not but i just love all of the new announcements and all the like like i just get obsessed and i like read everything and i watch everything and i feel like i read the same article 10 times but from a different writer and don't get anything new out of it and yet i keep doing it like i just am so interested in everything that happens and uh somehow haven't made it down to the Los Angeles Convention Center for the convention yet. It's hard to justify two trips to California within a 30-day period because, of course, I'll be headed down for San Diego Comic-Con just next month. But you were there. You were there today and the last couple days as well, actually. Yeah, uh, I was lucky enough to get in for all three days. was pretty fortunate to be able to check out a lot of the big titles that were on display as well as a lot of the smaller ones. Mm -hmm. But I feel like this is probably one of the most productive e3s that i've done mostly because there wasn't as much i feel like there wasn't as much big name competition on the floor since that's true ea doesn't like ea doesn't do e3 they haven't done it for like the last couple of years 
they have their own little thing in a separate part of the city. And then Sony was completely absent. Xbox's display was in a completely different building across the street. Oh, really? Oh, in the in the Xbox Plaza or? Yeah, and like the Microsoft Theater that they have across the street from Staples right, Center. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, so they had, Xbox was had their own building, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, EA wasn't there. Sony wasn't there. So it felt like it allowed a lot of other companies uh, to really take advantage of the space that they had, in a, mm-hmm. as well as the big games that were on display, I feel like got a lot more attention since they didn't have to be divided up as much. Mm-hmm. So because of that, it was like... I think that's part of the reason why a lot of people feel like Square Enix kind of really ran away with the a lot of the big announcements since it w- normally I feel like it would have been tied with Sony. Yep, that's true. And it would have been credited to Sony, but this year and being on the show floor like usually only like Microsoft, Nintendo and Sony have like the really big booths and then from there the bigger publishers have have like slightly smaller ones and it kind of goes down from there. Mm-hmm. But I think Square Enix might have had the biggest booth this year where they had a dedicated area to final fantasy seven, mm-hmm. which was as big as some of their booths. Uh, um, they had an Avengers area that was as big as some booths. And then they had a final fantasy 14 area also. So they, they took up a big, big chunk of the, of one of the halls mm-hmm. and it felt justified because they had so many huge announcements from their conference that people were mm-hmm. just buzzing about the entire time. Well, it's interesting because I feel like, like looking back on last year, I feel like Square Enix, and maybe I'm remembering wrong, but I feel like Square Enix's conference last year was like 20 minutes long and it was barely anything. And then this year to fill, I think, over an hour with these huge announcements and and like huge gameplay demos of, of you know, Final Fantasy VII and, and blowing everyone away with a Final Fantasy VIII remaster, which I don't know if anyone really saw coming. Like it seemed like they were firing on all cylinders this year, whereas last year I feel like I remember setting up for the, you know, I'm so excited to watch the Square Enix press conference. And then 20, 20 minutes later, it was like some Final Fantasy DLC. And I was like, that's it. Like, it's it was a big year for them. Yeah, I think I remember that, too, because people were really anxious for more Final Fantasy VII news and they just didn't mention it. <laughs> yeah, right. We never we didn't announce this. This doesn't exist. Um, but not only now have we seen a ton of news from that. We've we have a release date. It comes. Is it next March? Uh, Yeah, March 20th, I think. Yeah, next next March, we got an insane and insanely expensive collector's edition that's only available from the Square Enix store, which I know you've had great experiences with in the past. Oh, yeah, fantastic. <laughs> um, you uh, Let's just jump right into it. You got to play Final Fantasy VII, didn't you? Uh, yes, I did, which is probably... It kind of kills two birds with one stone because that might have been my favorite thing that I played on the floor, too. So Jumping into it. Watching this gameplay trailer, you know, it looks beautiful. I like that we finally got to see some characters revealed that they seemed like they were keeping under wraps before. The combat, I don't know how I feel about the combat. The combat is totally different. I was just, I, I, I thought that they were more just adapting this game. They, it, It's not really turn-based anymore, is it? It's like, it's like an action RPG at this point. Like, how, how did you feel about that change? And how did it feel once it was actually in your hands? Right. So first off, I do want to kind of preface it by saying I'm not I don't want to necessarily say that I disliked seven. I actually liked it a lot, but I'm definitely of the camp that isn't necessarily crazy about the game. I think a lot of the final other Final Fantasy games were a lot better in a lot of ways. And with that said, I also really, really kind of disliked 13. Mm -hmm. But in some weird way, this game kind of marries the combat between final fantasy 13 
Final Fantasy 15 and I think to a better extent um Crisis Core on PSP. It's actually more turn-based than you would think. Like it once you play it especially in the boss fights where you're where the fights are more drawn out and it takes longer to beat the enemies. Mm-hmm. Um they kind of have this mechanic where basically the way that it works is when you start off the battle well uh with Barrett like Barrett has his own set of attacks and Cloud has his own set of attacks but since you're using Cloud most of the time, basically you could use his sword to block. So you'll approach the enemies while blocking, and when you get close enough to hit them, you will just like kind of mash out the buttons, and he'll do an automatic combo, which is where the action portion comes from. And Okay, okay. And then you could also dodge freely and everything, so that's kind of where the comparisons to Crisis Core and Final Fantasy XV comes from, and that's where the action RPG portion of it comes from, too. But the regular attacks are really weak, and every time you hit them, you fill up an ATB meter, which is supposed to be like the substitute for the active time battle from the original Final Fantasy VII. Sure. Yeah. And have you ever played Thirteen? I have never played Thirteen. I think I have owned multiple copies, and, which I like a lot of games, and I don't think I've ever unwrapped it. Right. So Thirteen also had a similar mechanic where the basic attacks would fill up what they called the ATB meter also. Okay. And as that meter fills up, in the demo, it was split into two halves. And each once you filled up one half of it, you could pay meter to activate either a special ability. Some of the abilities were new attacks, and some of them were old limit breaks. Like one of Clouds was Braver, which I think was his initial limit break. Okay, yeah, yeah. And that could be activated now anytime when you want to use an ability. And then he had a few other ones, which I'll talk about the mechanics of those in a second when we get to more detail of the boss fight. So as that meter fills up, you have to pay that meter to use special attacks that fill up or that do more damage. And if you want to use items or cast magic spells, you also have to pay a segment of that same meter. Mm -hmm. So using your basic attacks to build the meter is kind of a big part of it while trying to avoid damage. And one thing that I found really interesting, too, was that I feel like the items are going to be a lot more important going forward. Because when you cast magic spells, the magic spells still cost MP in addition to the ATB meter. So it's like you have to pay two different types of currencies to cast magic spells, where if you're using an item with a similar effect, it'll just cost that. So there's quite a bit of strat. Yeah, like even though, you know, the demo itself doesn't go too far in depth, it's still the beginning of the game. But even in that, I was kind of feeling like in my head, I was like, okay, I want to use items for healing so I could save my MP for elemental attacks to exploit their weaknesses. Mm. Like my mind was already kind of going to those things. And I can imagine that when the main game gets to know a lot more detail, those kind of factors are going to come up a lot more. So that was probably the thing that the biggest change that was the most interesting to me. But when we got to the boss fights, the turn-based aspect really did become more of a, um, more of a, I guess a pronounced feature. So basically, basically, the way that it works is that your party members, in this case, it was only Barrett and Cloud, but you could switch between the three party members or whichever party members are with you on the fly and take direct control of them. And then so once you once you do that and you have your other partners fighting automatically, you can issue commands to them. And when you do go into the screen where you issue commands, the screen kind of freezes. And then from that point, you just select, do you want to use an ability, a magic spell, an item and that kind of thing? And in that respect, it's almost com- it's almost identical to what the original Final Fantasy VII was, where you know the combat's kind of still, and it gives you that moment to kind of select the attacks. So once the fight started getting longer with the Scorpion boss at the end of the demo, there was a lot of that where when Cloud was 
getting knocked back or the enemy was doing a attack that was kind of protecting his immediate vicinity, I would switch over to Barrett. Mm-hmm. And since Barrett can use his gun, you would hold down the attack button. He would automatically just keep shooting until his um, arm overheated. So I would build up ATB meter and damage with Barrett's gun while Cloud couldn't get close. And at the same time, I would kind of freeze the menu and have Cloud like heal or um, prepare prepare an upcoming attack that would uh, be able to hurt the enemy once his attack once the enemy's attack ended. Right. So in that respect, it did. Even though you know the whole thing is not controlled through the turn based mechanic, it did it did come up with a pretty interesting way, I think, to kind of blend the action RPG elements with the classic turn base that a lot of people were like fell in love with back when they first played seven. So you feel like it does a good job of the mixture then? Yeah, I think it does a real good job of kind of combining those two elements. And another thing too, though, is that when it came to the boss fight, another aspect that Mm -hmm. was a lot of RPGs have it now, but the first time I really saw it be um, as a popular or like a featured mechanic was in 13 also. But in 13, the enemies would have two different meters. They would have a health meter and then they would have a stagger meter, which was essentially a meter that built up when you attack them consecutively. And once it filled up, they would get knocked out. And while they were knocked out, you would have a damage multiplier on top of them not being able to act for a while. Mm-hmm. So that's that's like the main that's like the main mechanic in this game too in the boss fight. And is that only is that only in boss fights? The regular enemies have that meter too, but they would die before you would fill it. Uh, I see. Okay, so it was kind of a non-factor, but basically, even when you would use magic that the boss was weak to, it wouldn't do a whole lot of damage. But the each mm-hmm. character, both Barrett and Cloud, had abilities that would specifically focus on building up that stagger meter instead of focusing on damage. So the whole strategy around it was to build up their stagger meter until they're knocked unconscious temporarily. And once they're unconscious, that's when you would unleash your limit breaks and unleash your elemental spells that they're weak to because it would do like 10 times the amount of damage as it would do otherwise. Uh, I see. So it's kind of... Cr- um performing a constant flow of damage is mm-hmm. a core part of the combat system which wasn't present at all in seven so that's going to be the biggest change mm-hmm. and i know 13 is a both from the way that the atb meter is handled and from the stagger mechanic those are both taken directly from 13 and i know 13 is a really polarizing game so i don't i thought it worked well the way that they brought it all together as someone who didn't who like wasn't wild about either game originally and i like the right. way it turned out um, but I've already been seeing, and when I've talked to some people, it seems like people who love 13 are like ecstatic. And then when I talk to people who sure. hate 13, now all of a sudden they're really like worried that they're not going to like seven, <laughs> the seven remake. Right. Well, well, and what, like one question that I would have is what do you think, like, I think that this kind of major change to the combat system, I don't think that it was expect expected. So like, what, what do you think the idea around doing that is like is it to modernize it a bit more is it to make it too attractive to you know obviously a lot of people that played it in the 90s are going to go back to it anyways for nostalgia purposes but is does this does this make like more action oriented type of combat doesn't it make it more approachable to maybe younger people that have never played the game before whereas the slower pace of the full turn based um, might turn them off well i think that people who've never played it before and this will be their first time playing it i think that they'll be I think they'll be more drawn into it, but not necessarily from the combat, but the story. Like there's already, even in the demo, there was a couple of parts in the story that were being shown earlier than what they ha- how they happened in the 
original game, like mm-hmm. uh, Cloud started having like flashes of like hinting towards Sephiroth. I mean, anyone who's played it would have known it. But if I remember correctly, he wasn't. Ha- they didn't even come close to hinting at Sephiroth at the very beginning of the game. Okay, and, like stuff like that. So I feel like the narrative is more fleshed out. Barrett already seemed to have a lot more personality than he originally did. Um, like some of the avalanche, the avalanche people that are with you in the beginning of the game, like they they actually feel like full fledged characters now. And some of them are given pretty significant roles in the beginning of the game compared to compared to the original. So I think story wise, it's going to pull in new people even more. Um, as far as the gameplay though, I feel like it's hard to say on gameplay alone because even though it's action focused, it did feel kind of slow, like a little bit slower than I would have liked. And Final Fantasy 15, which was, of course, the most recent mainline Final Fantasy game, that one had a similar play style, but it was a lot faster, mostly because the character mm-hmm. could teleport at will pretty much to wherever he wanted to be. And since this game and since this game is such like a defensive, it's such a defense focused battle system where you pretty much always have to either be guarding if you can block or be far away if you can attack from ranged positioning. Right. That it did like one of the probably the only negative that popped in my head that I was thinking, you know, some of these fights feel like they're, especially the boss fight when he kept pushing me away from him when I was trying to use cloud. I was like, this mm-hmm. like battle system feels like it get really like, unless you unlock abilities that make it faster later, like this is going really slow. Cause I'm spending so much time just blocking while slowly approaching him until I could hit him and hope he doesn't knock me away right away. I see. So, yeah. So if that's a, if that's a always necessary thing, that's going to get old fast. Pretty much, because I tried to just run at enemies and I was taking so much more damage than if I was holding the block button. Right. And since MP and ATB meter are such you know valuable currencies when you're trying to fight, using it recklessly is like and needing to heal all the time <laughs> could be a problem. But overall, though, I think new. I think since turn-based battle systems are such a rare thing these days, that updating the battle system yeah is almost a necessity to draw in new people because I feel like turn base is so niche now outside of like pokemon that that it would be hard to drag yep, in new, fair. Uh, new audiences and especially partner like especially pairing it with like I mean, I mean the game looks gorgeous so pairing it with pairing this insanely slow and and completely unpopular at this point type of battle system with this completely modern looking reimagining of this game i feel like would be quite jarring for uh, people that picked it up maybe just you know, not knowing a lot about it based on the trailers or based on the hype or whatever. Um, I don't know how stoked they'd be <laughs> at the battle system at that point. So that makes a lot of sense. Right. Yeah. One thing that I want to ask as well, um, for instance, you saying not, you, you weren't a huge fan of final fantasy seven. So what makes your time with this? Like you said, it was potentially your favorite piece of E3 this year. How does, how does it go from the original being not something you love to, to being such a, treasured piece of your experience uh this week i think it was mostly because i was so surprised at how many different concepts that they pulled from different games to kind of create this new hole Mm -hmm. that it was designed around so i just thought like like you were saying in the beginning they kind of teased it a little bit in some of the trailers but you couldn't really tell what was going on a whole lot so no one really knew exactly how the gameplay was going to work and then actually actually playing it and seeing oh, this concept is pulled from this and this concept is pulled from this. Let's see how they bring it all together while still keeping it true to Final Fantasy VII. Like, love it or love it or hate it in terms of the Final Fantasy Thirteen mechanics, but I thought they did a really good job of kind of blending the best parts of so many different sources to make something that feels 
original while still feeling familiar enough at the same time. Mm-hmm. Are you gonna get the first? Are you gonna get the first class edition of uh, the game? Uh, no, no, because of the cost or because of the Square Enix store? No, because of the Square Enix store. I I slightly <laughs> considered it, and then it said Square Enix store exclusive, and I was like, no. Mm-hmm. No, like for anyone who so just the regular edition for you. Yeah, pretty much like for anyone who might not have listened to that old show at this point of our Geekscape Games podcast. It was a I had ordered a Final Fantasy 15 collector's edition, a Kingdom Hearts collector's edition and like a Lightning Returns collector's edition. All three of them never got to, or either got lost in the mail or never got to me. The Final Fantasy 15 one in particular didn't ship for like four months but they had charged me the three two hundred three hundred dollars and i called them three times and they kept saying it was in the warehouse and it would ship and then they were they finally shipped it when i told them i wanted to cancel it but at that point i told them no for real like why'd you ship it now just cancel it so they took it back Mm -hmm. and gave me my money back and that was the last time i'll ever deal with them so dang so you have to get one on uh on craigslist then yeah i guess so i could have tried to steal the one they had on display at e3 but i don't know how far i would have gone I mean, if I was using someone else's badge, I would have tried it. <laughs> Not yours with your name on it? Right. Yeah, you don't want to get banned for for future years, right? Right, exactly. They might come out with something better that I want to take. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, is there anything else you want to say about Final Fantasy? Or are you ready to jump on to the next? Um, no, that was pretty much it. I mean, the only other thing that I didn't mention was that the bosses can like pin one character down and you'll lose complete control over them. Mm, okay. And you have to use a different character to kind of get them off of them before they do like a huge like damaging attack on the one that they have trapped which i thought was cool it makes the whole the whole thing just feels a lot more cinematic overall and i think that's probably what they're going for it almost seems like they want to make a advent children style final fantasy 7 game okay that's a good way to put it i feel like yeah like watching i don't know watching the gameplay trailer i was just like i'm still i mean i still pre-ordered it two years ago but like i feel like i i just wasn't down for that but hearing these firsthand impressions i feel like i'm more open i'm more open and i don't even remember it that much like i played it when i was like nine years old or something like i don't know why like i i think it feels big for me because it was the it's like the first big rpg that i remember ever actually playing all the way through and so i just feel like i want that experience again but if i want that experience again i could play it on my cell phone i could play it on my playstation classic i could play it on literally anything mm-hmm. and i haven't so why not be open to to this new version of it yeah for sure and the only thing that I'm really worried about is the whole interview that came out this week where they said that they are still not sure how many parts it's going to be. <laughs> Nine parts over the next 40 years. Yeah. At, at this point, just hold out for the PS5 complete edition. <laughs> Do you think it would, it could be PS6, PS6 exclusive yeah, at this point? 15 disc remaster for $400. <laughs> uh, uh, Square Enix store exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> um so with e3 itself uh, as someone that has not been because you've been going for quite some time right you've been you've been to many e3s yeah i think the first year i went was when back when security was lax and you could just tuck a lanyard in your shirt and people would just assume you had a badge underneath like that was (laughs) not these days that was when the Wii first came out and today there's like a double today there's like a double id check and really so so how how does the because obviously it's changed a lot and we have like you mentioned before there's like so many of these big players are not there anymore like how does the floor you know and it being open to the public how does the floor feel these days versus what it would feel like you know four or five years ago well before the before it was like a handful of games were fighting for all the attention pretty much Mm -hmm. 
And if you wanted to play any one of those games, you would still have to line up early and that would probably be most of your day. Okay. And it made it worse because I feel like I don't know what they've done. I haven't noticed that they've done anything different, but I know in the early days, a uh, wait in line used to be so much longer because they would just shove a point like press appointments in front of you. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you'd be in line for like two hours. And then when it's almost your turn, they would shove like three or four groups of press right in front of you. And it would add another hour to your wait. I have been that press at events and I it never get you never don't feel like a dick <laughs> when you do that. But what I think what it is actually is a lot of the big publishers now they have private rooms for press. Oh, OK. So that could be part of it. Um but yeah, for whatever reason, the weights don't feel as bad, maybe because I'm more used to it this year and I kind of knew what to prepare for since this is the third year that they've invited the public. But basically the way I was trying to approach it was just for the big stuff, go early. And then after the public was let in, just go to a lot of the smaller booths mm-hmm. because, you know, as soon as the public was let in, every big game was like a four or five hour wait, which at that point was pretty much the rest of the day. Yep. And some of the stuff, even before the public got in, some of the games, I think I waited like three and a half hours to play Zelda before the public got in. Really? Yeah. And it was just, it was just crazy. That was the one funny thing that I noticed about E3 is for whatever reason, Nintendo didn't think people wanted to play Zelda. Because they had, <laughs> they had, according to their way that they set up their booth, they had two big games. It was Luigi's Mansion 3 and Pokemon. No way. And then they had a small section that had every other like miscellaneous game. And so they had a sign that said Zelda and other games, this line. And you would wait in that line to get into the booth. And then you would get into individual lines for each other game you wanted to play. So they had a bigger presence for Luigi's Mansion than they did for Zelda. Yeah. And I guess they just they probably figure that it's a remake of an old game that's been ported a handful of times already. Yeah, but not like this. Yeah, but it's like like on the first day. Zelda was mixed in with all the other games, but then there was this massive line that cut through the rest of the booth because everyone was trying to play Zelda. Oh my gosh. So on the second day, they just separated Zelda and put it in its own line and put all the other miscellaneous games. So that was nice because if you wanted to play the miscellaneous games, you literally could just walk in and play them with no lines <laughs> while all the Zelda people cared about them. pretty much. <laughs> well, like Zelda was shoved into its own space now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think Zelda was the... I think both because the demo was long and they didn't have as many units. Whereas Luigi's mm-hmm. Mansion and Pokemon both had like giant rooms that had probably like 60 screens in them. Oh, wow. Okay. But yeah, I think, but because of the length of the demo and the amount of people trying to play it, Zelda was like one of the worst lines. Jeez. And that's outside of like the, you know, like your cyberpunks and your borderlands mm-hmm. and all the other heavily promoted games. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Microsoft, for instance, being uh, in a different building. Did you make it over to that area as well? Or did you stick to kind of the main show floor? I did, but... I didn't realize that Microsoft actually closed earlier than E3. Okay. So I was trying to, I went over there towards the end of the day since it was in the direction that my friends and I were parked at. And when I stopped in, they had a few things open, but nothing that we particularly wanted to see. They've had us watch some weird, like 3D, like 360, like 360 degree screen promotional trailer for Mixer. And then once we watched that, they're like, all right, now you can go play Gears 5. And then we went to, we walked into the room with Gears 5 and they're like, oh, actually we closed the line because we're, I'm oh, like, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. well, I got to watch people play Gears so, 5. So that's nice. Yeah. So no opportunity to check out like the Project X Cloud demos or anything like that. No, I tried to, I was really trying to get into play Battletoads because I heard Battletoads was available, but yeah, but they had already shut everything down by the time I tried to go in there. What do you think of the Battletoads art style? Because I've heard a lot of negativity about how the Battletoads look. At this point, I don't know. I feel like it's one of those things where we haven't seen them in like 20, 30 years. 
So <laughs> people have a certain idea of what they should look like. But, mm-hmm. you know, kind of back what we were talking about with Final Fantasy VII, you know, things do have to be updated to a degree to kind of modernize it. So sure, I personally don't, I personally kind of think that they look like what I would expect from like, say, a Saturday morning cartoon version of Battletoads. And I know there was an actual, if I remember correctly, they were on a cartoon at 1.2 back in the day. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't look any different from, and maybe this is adding fuel to the fire to the people who don't like it. But to me, it just kind of looks like the animation you'd expect nowadays on TV anyway, like your Ninja Turtle, the modern Ninja Turtles and all that. So I don't have a problem with it. Yeah, that's fair. Just no, it looks fun. I mean, they, the like the, that, what are those things called? The like wall, the hover oh, right. things. Those are bad. So no one's ever getting past that level. Gonna, <laughs> no, exactly. I've still never passed that level. I wouldn't be surprised if the game just crashes because they didn't actually program any levels after that. Yeah, so if right. you beat it, yeah, if right. you beat it, it just doesn't know what to do and it just shuts off. Do you just unlock like a thousand achievement points and then it hits the credits? There's <laughs> that's the end of the game. Pretty much. They don't need anything else. Uh yeah, yeah. Although like I feel like that can't be as hard as like Cuphead or something like that, obviously. So uh, people beat that. So yeah. they gotta they gotta build the rest of the game in there. Yeah. I just beat Cuphead too, like the other day. I was really happy. Oh shit, really? Yeah. Cuphead is I I played it at a I've only played it like in like one sitting of it but I played it for an hour an hour and a half at a friend's house and it is hard it is so it's beautiful and the animation is great and the game and it's never like you're never like oh this was cheap and that is why I died like it is always your fault but it is very challenging mm-hmm. yeah did you have you ever played it's cool though speaking of have you ever played Catherine by chance I have started Catherine but I have never, I don't really remember it, and I did not play very much. But I know that you just started it recently, didn't you? Yeah, I finished it, too, the other day. But I thought of it, too, because <laughs> they had a, I must have beat it just in time, because the next day I went to go play the demo for the, it's not exactly a sequel, but it's like an updated director's cut version with sure. extra characters and endings and stuff. And I got to play that mm-hmm. on the show floor, too, and they were giving away these little uh, the little horns that the lambs have, or that the sheep have in the, oh, yeah, in the yeah. game. Yeah. So, I mean, that was cool. Yeah. But yeah, like that was one of the ones that I'm really into also. Like if we're talking about favorite sure. games of the show, mostly because of um, yeah. not necessarily because the new version did anything different. Like there's new blocks and new puzzles formats that are mixing it up like for people who've played it already. But sure. it's just And it's adding extra story mostly to their backstories and that kind of stuff. But what platforms is that new version available on? Um, It's going to be, if I remember correctly, it, might only be playstation but let me see i thought i heard someone mention switch but i don't think they were advertising that Mm. but yeah the original was on 360 and it's backwards compatible which is how i was playing it right but this one yeah it looks like it's oh it's that's the other platform it's on it's on ps4 and vita ps4 and vita no way but i don't think the vita i didn't know there was still vita games i don't think they're bringing it out in english or in America. Oh, okay. It looks like it might just be a um, Japanese. That's probably a good idea. Yeah, it says Japan only on Vita. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Okay. But yeah, like anyone who hasn't played it, especially, it, I don't know, it might be on Game Pass, like tying into the, your normal episodes, but like full. I don't think it is. I think I do own it on Xbox 360, though, because it looked interesting and I bought it at one point when it went backwards compatible, but I don't think it's on Game Pass. Yeah, but, but that has my full recommendation. Cool. Um, and then... Back to the back to like the floor and stuff. One thing that like for someone that's not been and now that you know 
people that are not press or, or industry members have the ability to go for someone that would, for instance, have to buy tickets. Like, would you recommend going to this or is it too, like, is it just, you're mostly waiting in line and you can mostly see and hear everything. Obviously, obviously watching stuff from home doesn't match up to playing it, but do you think it's worth the trip and worth the ticket? Or do you think that you, you can get most of the feel of, of what everyone's excited about and what the big announcements are without actually even being there? Um, well, see, it's hard for me to say for sure because I feel like if I had never been to E three, I would probably be super excited to do it. So maybe this yep, is, maybe okay. this is me speaking from someone who's been lucky enough to be able to go a bunch of times. But to me, it's not really worth it. It's like old hat to you now. Yeah, like okay, I know the tickets really expensive. It's like hundreds of dollars, and okay, and on two of the three days, you can't even go in until until it's already halfway through. Mm-hmm. I think it's like you can't go in until three or four hours after they open on the first two days. Mm-hmm. And then the third day, you can go in at the same time as everyone else. But like you were saying, there's just lines everywhere and they immediately fill up as soon as those doors open. And like, for example, yeah. I tried to play like today on the last day, I got to play Borderlands 3 before they opened, luckily, because I I was able to get in a little early and they had set up ahead of time. And then afterwards, I checked out right. Cyberpunk. And the third game I wanted to check out today, which was like the three games that were on my top priority list today were Borderlands, Cyberpunk, and Doom. So I got out of Cyberpunk, and I think it was like 20 minutes after they opened, and I walked over to Doom, and Doom was already capped for the entire day. Gosh, yeah. So it's like, you know, if hundreds of dollars, and my main thing was, oh, I want to play Doom, and then I got capped out of the line. Pretty much not going to yeah. happen. Yeah. So to me... I guess it really depends what you want to see because if you kind of just want to see a bunch of different things, it would probably be more worth it. But if you have your heart set on say final fantasy seven or Pokemon or doom or cyberpunk, like you have to be willing to like trample people to get there first in the first couple (laughs) of groups. Otherwise you're probably going to be locked out for the whole day and you're going to feel pretty disappointed. Right. Yeah. So watch at home. Yeah, watch at home unless you want to play all of the like waifu games and stuff because those booths are pretty empty. I think a lot of people are embarrassed to play them in public. <laughs> what's the uh, what's the swag situation like? Um, this year they seem to be pretty. Again, like I was saying earlier, I can't put my finger on what was different this year, but this year just seemed a lot more organized in terms of that kind of stuff. Like for example, I think Sega was the area that was giving out the most like giving out the most cool stuff. I thought, and it was all relatively easy to get. You would just play a demo they would give you a redemption ticket and then you could go re, um, turn in that ticket at any point throughout the, throughout that day. So everyone wasn't rushing mm-hmm. at the same time to claim them either. Oh, that's a good idea. And I think Namco Bandai did the same thing with their demos where if you played it, they would give you a ticket and you could just either go re if you were planning on playing more than one demo, it made more sense to just kind of grab all the tickets you wanted all at once and take them up all at once instead of doing it one at a time or rushing to get yep. the free stuff as soon as they hand it out. But yeah, and a lot of the booths had some really cool stuff. Like I got this um, psycho mask from the Borderlands booth that's painted in a certain way oh, cool. that really does look like cell shaded, but in real life. Yeah. And just a lot of like stuff like pins and t-shirts and that kind of stuff. I think uh, cool. Luigi's Mansion gave away a little pocket flashlight, which I thought was pretty cool. <laughs> You'll need that. Mm, yeah. But overall, it seemed it seemed to be handled pretty well. There wasn't any kind of mass hysteria. I remember in the days where they would get on like a megaphone on a stage and just start throwing shit at people and everyone would start like jumping on top of each other trying to reach it. So, yeah, those days are long gone. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, the I mean, we, well, that th- those days are not over in San Diego. San Diego is still a bunch of vultures, mm-hmm. but um, <laughs> uh, so that was some good practice, I guess, for for what for what next month will bring. Oh yeah, it's a it's like a training ground. <laughs> uh, the biggest thing I want to know is obviously cyberpunk witcher 3 is like one of my favorite games cyberpunk looks amazing uh i just sort of pre-ordered the 350 dollars collector's edition of the game and i still need to convince michaela to not make me cancel it i was so just gonna tell ask me if about michaela knew about that <laughs> uh not really yet but she, uh but you just you know i i'll have to break i'll have to break the news before this uh, releases but uh you know how, how can i how can i sell it to her tell me about tell me about the uh the, the cyberpunk experience i think the coolest thing about it because it wasn't it wasn't a hands-on demo so I wasn't actually able mm-hmm. to play it, but from what they showed, I thought it was really cool how... And a lot of games do this where they give you different ways to approach similar objectives, but the way they really displayed it almost made it feel like your play style was going to almost make it a completely different game, which is probably my biggest takeaway. Mm. So they said they're going to have multiple types of play styles, but they only had two in the demo. And so one of them was like a super strength was like a character with a robotic arm that gave him super strength. And with them, they were pretty much playing like in your face, guns blazing. They were taking more damage. They were ripping turret guns off of the turrets and using them manually against enemies. Oh, cool. They were ripping open doors with their hands that otherwise you'd have to either hack or find keys for. Mm-hmm. And it really presented itself as a it really presented the character as being like this really overpowered, almost like Hulkish style mm-hmm. character that was just like mowing through the environment and mowing through bad guys. And it was just really, really cool. It almost made it look like a melee focused uh, uh, game, even though from the Witcher and from how they presented cyberpunk, we know that there's so much more to it than just like a beat up, but they give you the option to play it that way if that's what you want to do. And then the other option that they had was the hacker, which does a lot of the things you would expect it to in terms of being able to say like shut off security cameras and that kind of stuff to distract enemies. Yeah. But since the world, and I think this is how I'm going to play it if I ever get around to playing it. Cause I still never touched the Witcher, even though I've owned it since almost <laughs> it, since the day it launched almost. Now, now you can get it portably. Yeah, I know the switcher. I'm yeah, I'm really sure. <laughs> that's like, I kind of want to want it, but then, you know, I never played the other one. So why would I play this? But but yeah, like since in cyberpunk, everything is controlled by robots and machines and everything's computerized. The hacker looked like it was so much fun. Like they pretty much played a complete stealth route with the hacker. Mm-hmm. And one interesting thing too, is that the more you hack, it could affect the story in a degree. So in one point he hacked the security system, but then they had like, I guess a their own hacker who was monitoring their servers and saw someone got into it. So now they were watching you closer because they detected that somebody accessed their system. That sounds really cool. Yeah. And it was just like a lot of smaller things, like the area that they were um, sneaking through focused on enemies that were really like bulky and muscular, like they were really into working out and all that kind of stuff. So it was like in this gym Mm -hmm. pretty much. And in one part to distract the enemies, one guy was sparring, was doing like boxing sparring with a robot and they hacked the robot to like, legit punch the guy (laughs) so when the robot punched him all the people around him were like oh shit what happened so they start walking up and checking out the robot and making sure the guy's okay Mm -hmm. and then there was another one where a guy was doing bench pressing 
And I guess since the bench was also controlled by computers, they hacked the bench and the bar just co- collapsed on the guy's neck. <sighs> and it's just so many cool different ways that since like, you know, like I mentioned, there's a lot of games that let you hack stuff, but since everything's run by computers in this game, there's so many different things you could hack that you've right. never been able to hack before. Yeah, and and that's in addition to the enemies themselves because since they all have robotic augmentations, there was parts where you could hack the enemies to shoot themselves. Like you take control of their arm and make them shoot themselves while they're like freaking out and trying to get control <laughs> of their body back. Uh, there was something else that they did that uh-huh. I can't think of where they they hacked the guy and they made him like. I don't even remember, but they made him kill himself in some other mm-hmm. weird way. This was all this was all like gameplay, right? Like it wasn't like a cinematic trailer, like what they showed during the Xbox press conference. Right, it was live gameplay. They just had it debugged so that he like he he was taking damage, but he couldn't die. Like if his health hit zero, sure, that was like the only major modification. Okay, how did the presentation look and feel compared to like what they've been showing in the cinematics? Like, does it look as high caliber as, as I think what everyone is expecting at this point? It looks pretty up there. Like, it's not quite as good, but it's also not a huge mm-hmm. glaring downgrade either. And it's still a year away. Yeah. Like, in both vis- visually and presentation-wise and the way that the conversations and all that kind of stuff take place, it reminded me a lot of the the more recent Deus Ex games. Oh, yeah. Okay. Like, so, like, if you played Mankind Divided, that's kind of what to expect, I would say, both yeah. from a graphic standpoint and from a ui standpoint and that kind of thing i'm down for that oh one cool thing too i wanted to mention that the hacker could do is they had a cord in their wrist that they could that they could plug in to the enemies remotely but they had a melee attack too where the the cord would like heat up and it would just slice people's necks like heads off like (laughs) like a laser almost oh no yeah so i thought that was really cool too that your little hacking tool Mm -hmm. could be used as like a fucking like a laser whip on top of on top of being something you just use to hack how well, how much Keanu Reeves was in the demo? Uh, like a minute. Like a minute. Okay. Apparently he's like a. Apparently he's with you for like the whole game. Like apparently it's not like a bit part at all. Yeah, it looks like it's like a Cortana thing from Halo almost, where he's like the AI living inside you. And like the only time they showed him in the demo, I guess because the demo was mostly combat focused, but uh, he had to he had to gain the trust of some leader of like a rival criminal group from the one that you were fighting. Mm-hmm. So he wanted him to plug in his consciousness essentially to the bad guy's database in order to like exist, examine his uh, background or whatever. And when he did that, like Keanu was popped up on the side and he was kind of giving little snarky commentary while he's uploading all of your personal <laughs> information and stuff. So how, how did they keep that secret? Like, how do they keep that big of an announcement secret to the point where nobody knows about it until he walks on stage essentially or until he, the the trailer pans up to him like he's been apparently working on this for a couple of years now like th- i feel like this stuff just doesn't happen anymore where stuff like that's not leaked yeah that's pretty crazy i guess it helps that isn't cd project red aren't they located like really really they're polish yeah yeah so maybe they just had him hidden in poland for a while they just filmed john <laughs> they just filmed john wick in poland all along yeah yeah uh, it's so funny now too that he's just like like i feel like it's just Keanu Reeves, like every role that he has, like be it this or John Wick or whatever, like it just feels like it's just him. And he just like dresses the same outside of these roles as (laughs) well. Yeah, I know. It's it's just so funny. Yeah, I I pretty much just see John Wick when I see him now. Maybe out of of fear, I don't know. Or like I read this article today about how like kids don't really know who he is, so they just call him Fortnite guy (laughs) because they have the John Wick partnership in Fortnite. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know the the whole announcement. It was it was breathtaking, oh, yeah. uh, if you will, <laughs> majestic. 
So based on what you've seen, based on what the buzz has been, do you think is Cyberpunk worth the $350 collector's edition? Um, you know, as long as it's not sold on the Square Enix store, I say go for it. Hear that, Michaela? <laughs> Hear that? Maybe maybe Keanu Reeves will give you a phone call and thank you personally for buying oh, it. Gosh, he's such a nice guy. I yeah, I, I've never heard anything bad about him. I don't think. No, no. Did you get a chance to look at, I'm not sure if it was playable on the floor, but Watch Dogs Legion really impressed me. Yeah, it was behind, uh, I'm pretty sure it was a video demo, but that line was also so long and it was kind of hard to get to that mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't see it. But Did you have an opportunity to watch the trailer? Oh otherwise? yeah, I did. It just looked so, I mean, like Watch Dogs 2 already went in a kind of weird direction compared to Watch Dogs 1, but this mm-hmm. one just seems completely... Mm-hmm. <laughs> it does but that, that being said i feel like i absolutely hated the first watchdogs and i thought that watchdogs 2 was was pretty wonderful and this just i i feel like it's funny because i feel like the like just thinking back to the presentation of the first watchdogs like ubisoft got so much flack because it was all fake or whatever like none of this stuff is actually like really possible and the game's actually pretty basic and but now i feel like this year for instance we saw a lot less gameplay than we typically do. Like a lot of these trailers were cinematics only or were very, you know, in-engine footage or whatever. And they had this huge gameplay demo uh, and specifically stating at the bottom, you know, like pre-alpha gameplay, pre-alpha gameplay, like the whole time they had, they showed more game. It's ironic because they showed more gameplay for this game than almost any other game. And just the start of Watch Dogs was not like that at all. So I thought that that was cool that they um, had this much to show off for real. And I was really impressed with like, I, I can't, it seems so ambitious. There's got to be some weird system where it's not actually as capable as it seems essentially for those who don't know, like it seems like you, you're, you're a group of hackers and you're, um, trying to take back London it seems like in in certain ways but you can essentially recruit almost anybody out in the city to be a part of your team and then they all have they're all characters with stories and with goals and with different missions and everything like that and you can just essentially get anyone to join you and then start playing as that character and characters come on board and they die and when they die you don't get a game over you're they're dead for real and now you're another character and you have to try to accomplish what they were doing or whatever and it's i can't say that i've seen anything like it before and i just wonder like how (laughs) how are they doing this because it doesn't look possible. Yeah, I know. It looks really, really ambitious, especially for like the third game in a series. Usually they kind of rest on their laurels a little bit, but <laughs> it looks pretty wild. And it's funny, but because of a joke my friend made, I can't think of Watch Dogs now without thinking of Pokemon because everyone was calling Watch Dogs a Brexit game. And so <laughs> my friend earlier was call- was calling Pokemon Poke Brexit or no Pokedexit, he was saying. Because of I don't know if you, I don't know if you've read about the controversy, and it's funny because Pokemon is also based in the UK this time, so like their version of it at least. Okay, yeah. And uh, what's the controversy? I've not heard of the controversy. That during the Treehouse, they kind of low key said that not all of the Pokemon are going to be in this game, or that you oh, won't be really? able to transfer all of them from old games in this one. And you'll only be able to transfer whichever ones are native to these games. Oh, so what are they, how far back are they going? What are they cutting off or have they not detailed yet? They haven't detailed it. And it's a mix, like in the trailer, you can see there's actually an article on Geekscape where I tried to spot as many as I could and listed them. But it's like a Mm -hmm. pretty good mix of every game. But, you know, there's bound to be someone whose favorite is going to get cut. And yeah, sure. Considering, you know, the slogan of the game got to catch them all and it just kind of 
You can't. Yeah, not, not anymore. anymore. So we got to pare it down. How many are there now? How many Pokemon are there? Well, there's like 803 uh, as of. You can't. You can't catch that many. That's yeah, ridiculous. As, well, I, I have, but that's beside the point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's 803 as of Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon, and they've already confirmed like 30 or 40 sure. new ones for this one that we've seen. Oh so my gosh. we're probably going to approach a total of about 900 at by the time this one's over. I would guess at least. That's unbelievable. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, who's to say? But So, are you upset? Like, do you care that much about holding on to these old Pokemon? Like, are you upset about them leaving something behind? Or is it just an opportunity? Like, like, what's the... what? Are you, how do you feel about this? Well, to me, I, it's, it is kind of upsetting to me. Because, for one, a lot of my favorite ones aren't super popular. So, I know that some of mine will get cut. But even if... Okay. Even if my favorites didn't get cut and all of them were in it. I mean, that still sucks, man. Like... In the previous games, they lit it. I think not in not in Sun and Moon, but in uh, Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, they went through the trouble of giving you a special reward if you showed them a Pokemon that you had taken from the original Ruby and Sapphire on Game Boy Advance and mm-hmm. bounced it all the way up to Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, like and stuff like that. Like it was kind of cool. Where, <laughs> say for example, when you beat the game with a Pokemon, uh, they would give the pokemon a ribbon almost like an achievement before there were an ach- achievements okay yeah and it would be attached to that particular pokemon right and then so when say if you got that ribbon in diamond and pearl when you transferred it over to black and white it would still have that ribbon and then you could get a new ribbon for That's beating neat. black and white with it and then when you transferred it from black and white to x and y it would have all those ribbons plus the new ones and it was like a kind of like a cool thing that kind of felt like it was... So it's not just this character, there's like a history right. with it. And it's frustrating because they've acknowledged in the story in some of the games, or not even necessarily the story, but um, they've had like bonuses for people who've... and rewards for people who've played the games that long and brought their favorites over for those many years. And then right. now it's like, oh, well, sorry, if we deem that yours isn't popular enough or isn't viable or whatever, then it's just not going to be in. And it's like I would under I would understand it more if they still made new character models every time a new Pokemon game came out, but they're pretty much have been using the same character models since uh since X and Y, and that's been like that's true. four years ago now, five years ago. So it's not like so at that point, why not just put them in there? Yeah, I mean, of course, there's work that needs to be done because they need to adapt the new attack animations to the old animations that they had from the previous ones, and they have to you know, up res everything for the switch. So it's not like there's no work and they could just copy paste it, but they're also not working from scratch. So yeah, to me, it's just that Pokemon didn't used to be an annual series, but in recent years, it's become an annual series where we haven't had a year without a mainline Pokemon game. So I think it's just more, yep, more than true. anything. I think it's just a matter of, Oh, we have a, we have to have it out by holiday and we're not going to have time to get it all. So instead of, having it on a two-year schedule like it used to be or even a th- i think the longest gap between pokemon games was a four-year gap at one point but you know instead of having a two-year gap we're just gonna cut pokemon so it sucks but you know <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 still buying it what does it matter oh i, I pre-ordered it like a year ago yeah so <laughs> uh i just pre-order everything it's not good yeah so do well i, I pre-ordered every game that i wanted this year before my Best Buy discount membership expired. Oh, is this when it yeah, ends? Mine expired oh. back in November, so I pre-ordered everything that I knew I was even mildly interested in. Because you still get the deal as long as you were active when you pre-ordered. Right, yeah. And then I figured if I change yeah. my mind, I could just That's cancel cool. it later, but it's better than to want totally, it later yeah. and not have the discount. 
Totally. That's kind of what I do because the a few years ago, the E3 sales up here were very good. Like most, pretty much anything that got announced, you could grab on Amazon for like $50 plus tax and games cost $80 plus tax here. So that's pretty good. I still have several, you know, my I have like a Death Stranding and a Final Fantasy 7 pre-order from like 2016 or 17 type mm-hmm. thing. This year, there's like, this year it was pretty disappointing. I, I, I mean, obviously there's no obligation for them to put anything on sale, but um, like Best Buy had... It was, you know, hey, come on this day and we're going to have all these games on sale. But they were super limited stock and they had like 10 titles total, for instance. Um, I just happened to be getting home very, very late so I could still take advantage. But yeah, it's basically like I pre-order anything that I have a slight interest in. And because you don't get charged, you don't they don't charge you till it ships. And you at that point have a locked in discounted copy. So as the time approaches, if I'm no longer interested in the game or whatever, you can just cancel it. So um, I feel like that's a very good way to do things. And I've saved hundreds of dollars um, over the years, probably enough to pay for my cyberpunk 2077 collector's edition. Michaela. See, so it's really not like it's not spending money it's rewarding yourself with everything you've saved. It's kind of like a free. Yeah. It's kind of like a free collector's edition is, is uh, how I am thinking about it at this moment. Yeah, well, hopefully, you know, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully others others feel the same way. Uh, with that, I don't want to go too, too long, but I would love to hear just real quick, like, what other cool stuff did you see or get to play? Well, as far as cool stuff, the booths this year, I thought were just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. The uh, Final Fantasy VII one had like a, it was set up like the Shinra train and the Shinra building, and you could see the big reactor from the mm, cover cool. from the outside of the booth. So that was cool. Uh, Monster Hunter had the giant ice dragon from the new expansion that's coming out, mm-hmm. which is like one of the probably the coolest photo op they had at the whole convention. Um, Luigi's Mansions was probably the best booth though, because it was. Have you ever been to Disneyland by chance? Uh, yes, but I don't remember it very well. But do you remember the Haunted Mansion? How they had like the ghost projections and stuff? Yeah, oh, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like the whole booth was like that. Like they had just the different ghosts bouncing around on uh, against the walls and on behind these screens while you were playing. It was mm-hmm. just a really cool setup. And on top of that, I think aside from Final Fantasy VII, I think Luigi's Mansion was probably my favorite game on the floor that I got to play. That's. I feel like that's unexpected how big that game became. Like I know. I, like I feel like I've, I loved and everyone loved the first one, and then I feel like I don't remember there being that much buzz around the 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 3ds one when it came out, and now everyone's loving it again. Yeah, like the 3ds one expanded on the mechanics so much, and this one, the demo that I played was used the mechanics from the second one while adding a bunch of new mechanics for the third. So the game's getting more and more complex, but in a good way. I think mm-hmm. like it's not too hard. It's not like you're you know, you're lost or you're, there's too many different button combinations to memorize or anything, but it's still just as easy to pick up and play, but it's hard to master to maximize the points you get and everything. Sure. And with all the new abilities that they've given him with Gooigi and the plunger Gu- thing. was hilarious. Yeah. Like he, that was really cool too. And it also gives you multiple ways to solve the same puzzles. Cause sometimes you could use Gooigi to solve something and other ways, other times you could do it a different way. Yeah. Totally. Like without using him, for example, so, I mean, that was really cool. Um, other than that, I think... Other than that, it's just hard to say because every other game that was like a sequel, the, it was pretty much what you came to expect. So sure. it wasn't like anything that was super shocking. I think that's why Final Fantasy VII and Luigi being so expansive and so different compared to what they're based off of stood out so much with yeah. me for. Marvel Ultimate Alliance, because I wasn't expecting to get into any of the big games. So when I first got in, I my priority was Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3. 
and like visually it's not the greatest but it's still so much fun to play with a group of four and they have a pretty wide diverse cast of marvel heroes this time too cool and is it it has local multiplayer right like is is it up to four player local uh yeah up to four player that's awesome local and i was well i was sad and happy at the same time because it's better than nothing i guess but they had already confirmed like at on treehouse they confirmed luke cage and Iron Fist and Daredevil had been confirmed already. Sure. So I was like, okay, cool. If Jessica Jones was in, that would be her first time playable in a game and you could have all four defenders. So I was happy. Like as soon as you start playing, she's in the game with uh-huh. you, but she's an NPC. So uh, okay. she's in it. She's <laughs> in it. And she has the, she has the, like the Kristen Ritter Netflix art style oh, like cool. character model. Yeah. But yeah, she doesn't, she gives some bullcrap excuse. Like someone has to be around to protect the, uh protect the people on the streets while you guys are out fighting aliens and stuff damn so yeah so she's not playable but at least she's in it that's better than nothing (laughs) but yeah aside from that like so many of the games that i played were were like really great borderlands cyberpunk looked amazing and yeah just overall it was just a really good show Mm -hmm. despite how crowded it was it somehow felt less hectic Oh, and then one other thing I wanted to mention was that I got to sit down with Idea Factory, my Neptunia people no that way. I used to talk to all the time. Yeah. And they showed me this one game where it's like, it looks like Virtual On, the way that it plays. Okay. Like a fast paced, like mech style combat game. But instead, you're playing as battleships that are actually waifus. <laughs> so they're, they're based off of real, like World War II naval battleships, but they're women yep. who shoot missiles. Yeah. So, uh, is there a collectization of that be. that you can pre-order? Uh, not that they've mentioned, but I'm sure there will be. <laughs> it's based on a really, it's based on a really popular Chinese cell phone game. It's weird because I played a couple of these games that are r- r- like full games based off of cell phone games. Yeah. So we're kind of going backwards now. It's like before, <laughs> before it'd be like, oh, like Pokemon's popular. Let's make a bunch of mobile spinoffs. Sure. But now it's like, oh, this mobile game's really pop. This free to play mobile game's really popular. Let's make a fully priced <laughs> console spinoff for it. Wait, full circle, you know, that's crazy. Yeah, that's pretty hilarious. much. Um, after three days on the floor, is there, what do you, is, is there something that you wish that you saw more of? Uh, yeah, there most of it was i mean of course i wish like death stranding would have been there and it wasn't shenmue 3 was technically there but it was behind closed doors so we couldn't play that Mm -hmm. but i think the game that was i think the one that was missing the most that shocked me the most was all mostly on nintendo side and the biggest one was probably shin megami tensei 5 okay like that game was announced remember what back when we did that live stream with geekscape games when they were doing the switch press conference when they announced (laughs) the release date yeah i do yeah that same press conference announced that Shin Megami Tensei five was coming for switch. <laughs> and that's the, like we thought final fantasy seven was bad. That was the last time we heard about that. That's game. fair. That's crazy. Yeah. Here we are with nothing like this. The final Splatfest on Splatoon two is like ripped straight from a Shin Megami Tensei plot line with a chaos versus order thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, man, like oh, they have to show us something and no, has <laughs> absolutely nothing. I was also shocked that, we still haven't really heard anything on what Microsoft and Nintendo are going to be doing together. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we've heard hints of it and there was those rumors around um, GDC and it's like, at this point we almost can confirm that there's something, but they just haven't said anything totally. yet. Yeah. Well, and I, like I could see, it would be cool to see, I mean, speculatively uh, there was a, 
just something today where I think based on Phil Spencer's giant bomb interview last night, like they said, they're open to doing something like a game pass on this switch, but I could also see like how great of a, um, like an X cloud client would the Nintendo switch be as well. Like that would be like, it's, it's just this great. It's got a good screen. The controllers are fairly comfortable when you're connected there. Like it feels, it feels more substantial than like holding an Xbox controller and and clipping your phone to it. Like it feels more like a real, a real console. Um, So I could definitely see like X cloud having capabilities on the Nintendo switch or something like that. Mm -hmm, Right. And yeah, just like, and as far as other stuff that was missing, just a lot of the switch stuff, like, they have so many great games coming out, but you wouldn't know it because they didn't really do a good job advertising it in typical Nintendo fashion. <laughs> yeah, but you have, yeah. you know, you have Astral Chain that's coming out in like a month and a half mm-hmm. from Platinum Games. It looks fantastic, but I think they've ever only ever shown it twice and it wasn't on the show floor at E3. Okay. Even though it was in their direct. But yeah, just like a lot of small things like that. But the biggest omission was probably um, Shin Megami, like I had mentioned. Yeah. And but one one thing too, as far as favorite things, it also wasn't playable. But I almost forgot to mention. I wanted to make sure to talk about it that they announced uh, the Panzer Dragoon remake for Switch. That right, was amazing. Yeah. Like everyone was talking about, you know, Banjo and everything, and the Breath <laughs> of the Wild too. And you know, justifiably so. But I think the one that I got the most excited for, and that I was like cheering at the screen over, was when the dragon's face came up on the screen, and you know, their dragon designs are very distinct. So you knew sure. immediately, like, oh my god, it's Panzer Dragoon. That just completely blew me away so yeah out of nowhere yeah out of nowhere that's that was a surprise announcement and i i feel like i've never actually played i didn't play saga or what was the there's panzer dragoon orta or something orta for xbox yeah 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 i'd never played that like i've not experienced the series and it's this beloved series so i am definitely looking forward to checking it out once the switch version comes out um yeah i feel like for me I wish that uh, Microsoft's conference was jam packed. I don't know how aside like it didn't feel like there was room to add anything else aside from just making the show longer, but I wish that they would have they didn't really say anything about Project X Cloud, which I feel like is their next big big initiative. Um they didn't really talk about it at all and it so you're reading impressions based on uh just all these outlets that are playing it which is cool and and i'm glad that they were demoing it there but i would have liked to see just some sort of hype video or something for it talking about the what what they're getting latency wise or something like that and and we're at the point where they're four months away from doing public trials they said public trials will start happening in october and we don't know about pricing in terms of they you know they said you can turn your own xbox into an xcloud server for free but you know what if you have a small data cap or you don't have the greatest upload speed at home or something like that like what's it going to be to use microsoft servers for this is it going to be a part of xbox game pass ultimate like there's so many questions there still um i feel like that was a big one for me and then it's hard to it was weird not having sony there at this point um sony like last year they had a weird you know it was a pretty weird conference itself if you can even really call it that it was a neat experience um and you know a a couple of the games at least that they showed off at that point have come out and have been celebrated and have been loved spider-man was one of the best games i played last year um but how can we get to how can it be another e3 and we don't see anything new about the last of us 2 or something like that which rumor wise is almost done or something like how can, how can you not be there to talk about it? And like, what is the benefit of that? Like if it's, if they're trying to hold their cards for the next gen announcements, like 
you know, Nintendo, uh, it's not, not Nintendo, but Microsoft, I mean, they teased things a little bit with a, their, their video, but there's still so much under wraps and, and um, all that did was bring up some hype for next year. Like E3 is the biggest time for video games. And it's the, you know, you see the biggest amount of coverage during this week and to not be there felt weird. And how now, now it's another year until the next one. Like it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, I think they're trying to go more towards a Nintendo Direct style promotional tactic, but still, I feel like once I feel like this year is going to be overall a light year for them, so they probably just figured it's more worth it to not spend the money to be mm-hmm. there when they don't have much to show. But why not like drop a why not drop a trailer or something on YouTube? Like don't don't just not exist during this week. Like Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. And I'm that's another one that I'm shocked that wasn't there though is Last of Us wasn't present at all from uh-huh. no trailer, no release date announcement, no anything. And from what that, we know, it's supposedly almost done, so I don't know what's going on. And that's like one of those super hype games. Like if that has any sort of present, you know, that's the type of game where they're not there but a trailer drops, like people are stopping to watch it. Like nothing like very uh, very few titles have as much hype as The Last of Us 2 does and I think rightly so. Like it's a pretty incredible uh the first game was so incredible in my opinion i can't i think you were kind of mixed on it yeah i, I was mixed you were kind of mixed on it i, I really, unpo- really loved I the it unpopular and, one yeah yeah and i feel like these i you know you just love these characters so to to for them to come back which i never expected is amazing so um that being said the hype i think for that game is at the maximum so <laughs> you know what does really aside from showing their hand aside from giving more details do they really need to at this point it's a um it's kind of a double-edged sword there i guess right um Crystal Chronicles for phones, I did want to mention just because I barely, I played a little bit of Crystal Chronicles ages and ages and ages ago, and I feel like it was so cool. If they do this phone version well, I feel like it's going to be amazing. Yeah, I I didn't even realize it was coming out on phones until I saw a trailer play while I was waiting for Avengers. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that was, and yeah, that didn't have a release date or anything, right? It was just like a teaser, I think. I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Is there anything else that you want to talk about about E3, or are you ready to wrap up? Uh, no, I think we covered most of it. I just, you know, I just had an excellent time. It was just so much fun being able to check out so many games. There's so much that I'm excited about. I feel like it's a real good time to be an Xbox Switch PlayStation <laughs> owner. Like everything, you know, everything that you could ever want is coming out on pretty much every system. So, you know, it's there's true. probably yeah. it hasn't been a better time to be into games. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I loved like, than, like the last couple of years we're getting so open at this point too, like with things like cross play starting to happen and things like cross progression starting to happen. I think the most used phrase at the Microsoft convention was like, we want you to play the games you want to play wherever you want to play them with whoever you want to play them with. Like just, just the idea of, of this stuff opening up in in what's traditionally such a closed ecosystem, I think is super cool. And I can't, it's going to be a crazy, it's going to be a crazy generation where, you know, I can imagine regardless of the game, like right now it seems to just be these big games, but regardless of the game, like, oh, you have this game on PlayStation, I have it on Xbox, I'll see you online. Like, it, it just doesn't matter, and that's super cool. But now, although now with on the PC side, you've got you've got that starting up with the Origin the Epic and Store Steam. and, st- and, and everything like that. But And everyone's got their own streaming service now, so. It was funny, too. There were, speaking of that, there was an advertisement for Borderlands that said, like, exclusively for i think it was epic exclusively yeah, on epic yeah. store and then it had an arrow pointing to the psycho and it said blame this guy it's not our fault or something like that because <laughs> yeah it's like it's like one of those things where these games are getting announced like watching these games get announced and then you just see the comments are just so negative about 
you know, having to have a different client. And and I mean, there's a lot of, I I think there's some privacy stuff in regards to the Epic store. And obviously uh, it's not a platform that's been around for years and years and years. So in terms of features, it has significantly less than steam does, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it seems like any game that gets announced on Epic at this point, all of the comments are just like, well, I guess I'm not playing this game. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's crazy. All right, though, that was uh, that was this has been E3 week and I'm disappointed that it's over, but (laughs) I'm glad that it happened. And I'm glad that you were here to record this episode with me, Josh. So thank you so much for coming on board. Yeah, thanks for having me. And the good news is now that E3 is over, though, each day that past E3 is a day closer to being able to actually play these games, right? That's true. That's true. And I mean, a lot of these games earlier this week, we didn't know they existed. And now we do. And I've already pre-ordered them. So, uh, <laughs> so there's that. Just hopefully, um, hopefully Michaela finds out sometime soon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hopefully her listening to this episode isn't the first time she learns of this. Yeah. Our schedules are pretty opposite. So we'll see. Uh, maybe that'll be an easier way to break it to her. I, I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if you don't hear from me again, you'll know what happened. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this has been a special episode of Xbox Game Passengers. If you are new to this show, thank you for sticking around. What we usually do is uh, each and every episode, myself and a guest will dissect and discuss a single game available on Microsoft's Game Pass service. Uh, and it's a game that was chosen for us completely at random. So whether it's magical or horrible, we'll force ourselves through it. We'll share our thoughts and we'll let you know whether or not the game is worth your time. Um, at the end of every episode, we pick the game for the following episode too so you always know what's coming up uh, i've had a blast making this show so far and uh, it, i've received a few messages about people really enjoying it so if you are enjoying it uh let me know you can tweet me at d we have a twitter at xgp podcast uh josh has his own twitter he's over at inu joshua um that's like an inu yasha but uh, adjusted to be joshua instead <laughs> um uh <laughs> Yeah, if you like the show, anything you can do to get us out there, we are growing and, uh, you know, we want to keep growing. So uh, whether it's a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, share it with a single friend that you think might enjoy it. Um, there's lots of cool stuff coming down the pipeline, and we've had a blast making these these episodes this week and every regular episode, too. Uh, Josh, we would love to have you on board for a regular episode sometime as well. Oh, yeah, that'd be fantastic. Cool. Awesome. Uh, anything you want to say before we uh, shut her down? Uh, no, just glad to be, you know, glad to be back on with you talking about games again, like the old days. So, you know, really, really happy to see you, you know, doing this podcast and being able to just have fun with everything and being able to dig into hopefully mostly good games or at least so bad they're good. Uh, yeah, there's been a, (laughs) there's been a bit of both so far. There's been a bit of both so far. Um, but yeah, if you've missed the episode that just posted yesterday, John and I played through the Hunter Call of the Wild. Jump back for that, and we'll be back with another regular episode just two Wednesdays from now. Um, and with that, this has been our E3 wrap-up. Thanks again, Josh, for joining us. Yeah, thank you. And we'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.